The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, come on, by now you know you're in the right place. I would never let you down. The buzz today, who is minding the store? Okay, let's get started. Great news. You consider yourself and your company very savvy when it comes to the e-commerce space. Why would you say that to me or anybody else? Well, you have successfully embraced online technologies and tools that will allow you to better service your customers and to increase the efficiency of your work processes hour to hour, minute to minute, day to day. Life is good. You've even built a digital marketing group. Wow. And you have an e-commerce team that helps you stay competitive with major players to support all of your business initiatives. You are in good shape. We are so proud of you. But, 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 there's always a but. Come on. Big question on the table. Who is managing all of the data that's being input into your systems? Oh, data? Remember that thing? Uh Uh-huh. Well, there's a heads up. Poor data quality and a lack of data governance can have a serious impact on your e-commerce, your e-commerce growth, your business strategies, your success, perhaps even your survival. So my question to you, my dear listeners around the world, is are you willing to take that risk? I don't think so. We have a panel of three experts who are going to help you and me figure out what you can do about it, the signs and symptoms that your data is at risk. And our topic today is very serious, damaged by data. Are you and your e-commerce an online victim? Aha. Let me get started with our first speaker. So pleased to welcome Simeon Chigger. He said, I can now call him Simi because we're good friends. Now, last name is C-H-I-G-E-R. He is the director of e-procurement at MSC Industrial Supply Company. He'll tell us a little bit about his company later on. And Simi has sent me a wonderful quote from the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Come on. I bet some of you out there saw that. That one is originally in the movies like I did. If not, maybe you were listening to it from your mother's womb. I don't know. The film dates back to 1986. Matthew Broderick was Ferris, Ferris Bueller, interesting name. He had this uncanny ability to cut classes in high school and get away with it. One last time before graduation, he called in sick to school. He borrowed, in quotes, a Ferrari. You all know what that is and what it costs, what it even cost in 1986. Enough. And he went on a one-day journey through the streets of Chicago with his principal determined to catch him in the chase. The release date was June 11, 1986. The director and screenplay, John Hughes, and the featured songs. Let's see if Simi wants to sing any of this. Twist and Shout. Oh, yeah. 
and Donka Shane. Shout out to Wayne Newton if he's still around. Here's the quote. All right, get to the quote already, Bonnie. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Simeon Chigger, how are you? Love the quote. Talk to me. Good morning, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show. So listen, every time I'm asked for a favorite movie quote, I always use this from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and then I'll figure out how to make it you know, work for our topic. So give me a minute or two just to bridge the journey. If you, had, you know, take you on a journey and, and build this bridge. Um, it's hard for me to believe that this movie was 30 years ago, and so much has changed. And some might argue that life back then was, was maybe a lot simpler. Uh, it reminds me of my early days at MSC when in 1987, as an intern, it was my responsibility to place and process orders the traditional way. You know, I picked up a phone and I actually mm-hmm. spoke to someone on the other side. Those were the days before cell phones and Internet and social media, tweeting, FaceTiming, you know, all the different things that we have today. Companies couldn't even fathom how today's technology was going to impact them in the future. Now, when I think about Ferris Bueller and our topic today, I'm amazed at how much has changed in our day-to-day as well as in our business lives. Um, I saw a quote recently that we live in a world of millennials that 35% of them are in the workforce, 50% by 2020. And if you know these people, they're the ones walking around married to their devices, the need Mm -hmm. for instantaneous information, being connected all the time, whether it's shopping, social media, sports, news, investments, and communication, just the way they communicate. And imagine the enormous effort to ensure data quality that's in place to support it all. The same expectation, though, exists in industry today, and it better be accurate and it better be fast or you risk losing the opportunity. There's no patience for not meeting the minimum expectations. You know, we often measure things in terms of web speed, which is a way of saying how fast things change. And this quote from Ferris Bueller's Day Off reminds me that while things move fast, you need to stop and recognize the important things. And in business today, in e-commerce, it's accurate data strong data governance and data foundation, and the impact that it has on procurement and supply chain efficiencies. Data is the most critical element for achieving success. Just like in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, when they were at the Cubs baseball game and were harassing the batter with the infamous, hey, batter, 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 so wing batter, (laughs) in the game of e-com, it's absolutely critical to make solid contact with data if you're going to be successful in this ever-changing web speed world. Thanks for having me again. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Oh, Simi, that was a lovely introduction. I have a question for you. Do you think when uh, dear Matthew Broderick, a.k.a. Ferris Bueller, was tooling around, that's a a phrase we used to use back in the day, tooling around in that borrowed Ferrari, uh, do you think that could be a metaphor for how fast data is trying to move or is already moving? And people who are inputting it or receiving it they're the ones who are saying yeah more data look we're part of the internet of things yeah look we're in e-commerce look at how great this flow of big data and small data and and on this data and that data look at it it's great and they're caught up in the moment and not realizing what you said and what i said in my opening that you can have pardon my french crab data and you can have data that has no rules to it that can really become a roadblock to use the car metaphor any quick thoughts on that simeon yeah i I think it's a great metaphor you absolutely have to have a plan and you have to figure it out and think about that movie right the the guys tearing out of the parking garage and taking it for a joyride you know and then they at the end of the movie they're trying to backtrack the uh the mileage in the speedometer so that daddy wouldn't find out about it Absolutely have to have a plan. It does move fast, 
but you got to nail it. It's, it's minimum expectations. We like to call it table stakes. If you don't have data, you're not going to be successful in e-commerce. Thank you very much, and good data. That's what we're talking about today. Simi Chigger at MSC Industrial Supply Company. Welcome, and now let's move to our second panelist. He is Robert J. Brooks. Told me I could call him Rob. At least I think he did. He's a global solution consultant at IBM Client Success at IBM. We haven't had an IBM panelist in a long time, and I'm so happy Rob is joining us. Rob sent me a quote, a really good one, from Albert Einstein. Now, cautionary tale here. Very often the quotes we get from supposedly Albert Einstein are not Einstein. Einstein's at all, but this one happens to be a good one. By the way, any of you who don't know, I don't know what rock you've been hiding under who Einstein is, he was a German-born theoretical physicist who developed the general theory of relativity, one of the two pillars of modern physics. Let's leave it at there. Interesting little trivia here. He was born in 1879 in Ulm, Germany, and he passed away in April 55 in Princeton, New Jersey. That's quite a journey for a guy who started out where he did. Here's the quote. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Great quote. Rob Brooks, welcome. How are you, Rob? Good, good. Thank you. Um, Nice to be here with everyone. Um, Looking forward to the discussion. Now let's discuss this quote. We can't solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Do you think Einstein, in a way, was more of a visionary than we credit him with? Because this is, this is very uh, uh, civilization-oriented, isn't it, Rob? This is saying, it, it is. hey, it, talk it to is, me. But I think it applies to a, a variety of aspects. We're constantly having to look back to the past. And you know, just recently, Einstein was in the news with some of his uh, theories being being proven and so we're constantly seeing things from the past come and haunt us in the present or even cause us more problems in the future um, and that's something I think with data in this context uh, we find a lot as we're working with our clients or working with our own systems as we think of the journey that we've gone on Simi and I have kind of gone on parallel but separate paths uh, in trying to meet client expectations from you know, the mid-90s forward uh, in what clients are looking for and expect, uh, there's constantly, you know, sometimes I can think of individual names and people I can blame for <laughs> certain things and decisions <laughs> that were made that are haunting us. Other times it's just sort of these institutional things that, well, it's always the way it's been done or that's where we keep this system or process. And linking those together really seems to be uh, at the forefront. We knew early on when clients were approaching us about e-commerce that we were going to have to have our data together because missteps or disconnects between what we call systems of engagement and systems of record would be difficult to cover up. Um, And so once we enter into these e-commerce relationships, everything has to be lined up, um, or at least that's what we strive for. And... uh, you know, I think Simi puts it well, too, with table stakes, client expectations, and, you know, whether I think the technology has uh, raised the bar on all of our expectations, regardless of your generation. Um, and, and so that creates this new level of, um, of scrutiny, but also data integration that's necessary to be successful when it comes to uh, working with our clients. So I looked to Einstein, and I'm really glad that I got the correct quote or a valid quote from him and not a made-up one um, because I think the integrity of the data, the authenticity of it uh, is, is key and, and relevant to our conversation today. 
Thank you very much, Rob. By the way, your audio sounds great. I know we had a little noise before. It's perfect right now. So thank you so much. And now let's bring on our third panelist, equally energetic and smart as the first two. It's Austin Whitehead, who leads the supplier side of SAP Ariba Solutions Marketing at where else? SAP Ariba. And Austin has given me a four-word quote that I had to really search to find the author or the source of it. The quote, I'm just going to use four letters, actually. I come from a mainframe computer programming background, believe it or not, back in the day. I won't tell you how far back and which day it was, but way back, I think before Austin was possibly born, uh, Key Punch and IBM 4341 and Xerox Sigma-6CP5 and disk packs that were so heavy I had to stand up on a ladder to put them into the deck. My goodness, all of those days. And the term that Austin has given us is GIGO, G-I-G-O. Now, think carefully. Anybody with a computer programming or analytics background would remember that's garbage in, garbage out. The first use of the term has been dated to November 10th, 1957, 30 years before Ferris Bueller, to a syndicated newspaper article about U.S. Army mathematicians and their work with early, very early computers in which an Army specialist named William D. Mellon, M-E-L-L-I-N, explained that computers cannot think for themselves and that sloppily programmed inputs inevitably lead to incorrect outputs. And hence, you have the underlying principle of GIGO, garbage in, garbage out. So we're attributing it to William D. Mellon, wherever he be, bless his his little soul, as people say. So Austin Whitehead, welcome to the show. And tell me, how come you picked this quote and you don't even know where it came from? I hope I helped by finding it out. Garbage in, garbage out, how does that relate to data and e-commerce. Austin. Hey, good morning, Bonnie. Good yeah, morning. The, um, the quote actually, very similar way I discovered or used the quote when I first took a programming class at the University of Texas when I was an undergrad, uh, using computer punch cards on an IBM 370, so I actually predate you. And, um, <laughs> and it was actually the same scenario where the, the, the input information was incorrect and we're trying to solve the program. Why is the program wrong? And it turned out to be the data. And uh, that was just a, a, a clear enlightenment to me at a very young age that, you know, if you put something in that's bad, you're going to get out something that's bad. And, you know, this has been, I, I use this quote pretty much my entire life when I think about things, whether it's um, computer-related or it's even life-related, that if you're going to put garbage in, you can expect garbage out. And so it's been, um, it's been a, to me, it's a kind of all-encompassing, uh, all-encompassing life quote, I would agree. I would agree. I like that a lot. It's a mantra, and you can just simply say, oh, Geico, or how would you pronounce it? Geico or Gigo? What do you say, Austin? I just always say garbage in, garbage out. (laughs) Okay, you're a purist. It really, really does. You're a purist. I love it. Uh, Are you surprised at the reference I found going back to a 1957 newspaper article? Any thoughts on that? I I am very surprised. Well, I'm not surprised at the context, but I am surprised you found something because I looked for it, too, and I couldn't find anything. Oh, I spend I stay up all night looking for the sources of these quotes. And going back to Rob Brooks, if Einstein didn't say it, I would have been able to tell you who did. So well, there thank we you go. For doing that. 
You're welcome. There's actually a professor somewhere in the Midwest named Leon C. Meganson, who is not often cited, but he's the source of one of the most famous, supposedly famous, Darwin quotes about the survival of the fittest. It wasn't Darwin at all. It was Leon C. Meganson. I'm I'm on a one-woman crusade to make him famous. But in the meantime, let's circle back to Simi Chigger. Simi, you're somewhere in North Carolina today, I think you told me. I'm wondering where you are, and we're at the part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today, meaning tell us a little little bit about yourself. What are you drinking or what are you planning to drink later on today, Simi? Well, I'm in uh, Davidson, North Carolina at our, at our corporate headquarters or our co-headquarters, I should say, which is right off of Lake Norman, uh, about 20 miles north of Charlotte. And, uh, you know, what's typically in my cup is a cup of Dunkin' Donuts out of my Keurig in the morning with just a sprinkle of Truvia and some extra light Coffee Mate French vanilla cream. However, I am on the road, so I don't necessarily have my perfect cup of coffee, but I am thinking about what I might like to drink. So as we're getting into the spring season, I I happen to be somewhat of a sangria aficionado. Mm. So it's a hobby of mine I started around three years ago when I was uh, with a friend of mine who is also uh, very much into his sangria, his homemade sangria. But he wouldn't tell me anything about how he made it. He's very close-lipped on his ingredients and uh, how he puts it together. So I uh, went to the best reference place in the world, and I went to Google, and I began (laughs) researching how to make sangria, all kinds of, you know, different kinds, whether it's white wine or red wine. And I start usually around this time of year, around April through September, every weekend, and I will take a couple of bottles of sangria wine, and I will doctor it up. Uh, fruits like strawberries and blueberries and apples and peaches and plums with a whole bunch of rum or brandy, depending on my mood that weekend. And uh, usually, you know, top it off with different flavored uh, brandies or schnapps, if you will. Uh-huh. Chill it and serve it with ice, and that lasts me the weekend, and I, I look forward to it. So while I don't have my perfect cup of coffee in front of me today, I am starting to dream about that sangria waiting for me Friday night. Simi, I think we're all coming to your house Friday night. I don't know (laughs) what you're serving, but we're coming for the sangria. Right, Rob Brooks? You're going to be there with me? That sounds like a wicked headache. uh, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Rob Brooks, what are you drinking, and is it going to give anybody a wicked headache? Go ahead. Well, maybe. Uh, So today it's just simply green tea. So we've got a lot of pollen in the air here in the Baltimore, Washington area. Um, And spring is in the air. So this also Cherry Blossom Festival here around spring break, uh, which reminds me of my favorite drink. So... Um, I'm a big hockey fan and uh, spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. watching the Washington Capitals. And so uh, generally hockey games usually mean beer. And as I've gotten older and more mature, you just can't do all that anymore. So um, we, after a game one night, we went to a place and uh, ordered uh, vodka tonic, something lighter. <clears throat> And the gentleman said, well, we don't have vodka tonics. He goes, let me recommend we have a Hendrix-based gin and tonic. And I said, sure, why not? So uh, I was unfamiliar with gin at this point, and uh, he presents this drink that I can still picture it. It's in a brandy snifter, a giant cube of ice, uh, an orange peel, uh, a cucumber, and two juniper berries. And this was the absolutely best drink. Just two. Just two. (laughs) Just two. I had, okay. I had ever tasted. 
And so from that night on, uh, we went on a quest to reproduce this drink. Uh, so it's Hendrix tonic, uh, and there's all kinds of tonics now I've discovered. Uh, a giant ice cube went and bought special uh, silicone um, ice cube trays to mimic the experience. And now this is kind of what I'm known for as the Hendrix gin and tonic. Uh, make it for parties and friends and pretty much, you know, I've sort of left the old beer behind and um, you know, exclusively drink gin and tonic, especially on conference calls. So, Especially on conference calls. <laughs> Listen, do you know what time of day it is? I'm not going to remind you. We, we've had people mention worse than that. I'm so delighted to have that recipe, and I'm tweeting this. I hope it wasn't supposed to be a secret just between not you and all. me, Rob, because it, <laughs> thank goodness. I appreciate it. I didn't ask for permission. I'm going to tweet it anyway. Austin Whitehead, my goodness, we have raised the bar, literally the bar, very high with sangria and Hendrix gin and tonic. So what do you planning to drink. I'll just leave it later, Austin Whitehead. Where are you calling from? Well, I'm calling from uh, Santa Clara, California. And actually, right now, I'm drinking my my hazelnut, uh, cinnamon hazelnut latte. Um, Mm. I tend to be uh, what they call spectacular, meaning I'm very specific and particular. And uh, Hmm. so I get very picky about my coffee. And I will probably be drinking coffee all day of some sort. I tend to do that, and uh, of different kinds. <clears throat> and uh, but later, probably before dinner, I'll have a bourbon. Uh, bourbon on the rocks is my my drink of choice. And uh, <clears throat> whenever I have the opportunity to go and try different bourbons, I do that. Thank you very much. We know an awful lot more about these three gentlemen than we did when we started the show. I'm enjoying that very much. Hey, guys, all they let me drink here at, uh, the we'll call it Game Changers Radio Central here on Long Island in my, my radio studio office, is cool, clear water. Uh, Brita filtered, thank goodness, with a very pretty straw, and today the straw color of choice is a light pinky orange because, as Simi and I talked about before the show, or maybe on air, it was raining cats and dogs and all kinds of data yesterday, and today is just a beautiful sunny day, and I'm celebrating that with my straw. That's all they let me do. No caffeine on radio show days. We are talking about a very serious topic, damaged by data. You and your e-commerce, are you ignoring data quality? Are you ignoring data governance? Are three Specialists, our three experts are going to help you figure out what you may be missing, how to figure out what to do about it, and ending up with a happy story. We're talking with Simi, Simi and Chigger at, let me get his company, MSC Industrial Supply. We're speaking with Rob Brooks, a global solution consultant at IBM Client Success, and Austin Whitehead at SAP Ariba Solutions Marketing. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a one-minute break, the pause that hopefully refreshes, and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael, out. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Business has never been more complex than in today's networked economy. To thrive, companies must adapt and innovate. They must harness the wealth of information now available to enable smarter decision-making. They must enable effective collaboration among employees and with customers and suppliers. They must optimally deploy enterprise resources. And they must make this simple. 
Join our experts as they discuss how your business leaders can drive innovation that positions your company for continued success. Business Network Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to business network innovation with Game Changers. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're talking about business network innovation with a focus on data quality, data governance regarding e-commerce. So you think you're smart and savvy and sassy and you had it all buttoned up. Well, if you've got lousy data coming in, G-I-G-O, garbage in, the message on the table is garbage out. We're talking with Simi Chigger, Rob Brooks, Austin Whitehead, and we're going to start our roundtable right now. Simi has agreed graciously to start it with me, and here's the topic I'm picking up from Simi's notes. He talks about the data disconnect, and here's a little information. For years, e-procurement solutions were implemented with the promise to streamline P2P, that's procure to pay. This is what we all signed up for and expected. What we got, however, is substantially less, and it has to do with broken systems and inaccurate data. Simi, let's round this out. Tell me what we're talking about here, please. Yeah, so listen, I think when we talk about e-commerce, you know, the traditional definition of e-commerce, you know, the websites, the Amazon.coms of the world, how they've, you know, they've educated everyone on on bigger, better search, you know, and how easy it is to do business, that's, that's now come into the, the B2B world. And in the B2B world, a lot of companies, and Rob mentioned this before, it's not just the website. It's how systems get connected. So buyers and sellers connecting using e-commerce tools to help them do business more efficiently. What we find, though, is that the data quality, the data challenge that exists isn't necessarily from the e-commerce site, but really coming out of the systems of records that our buyers use. So listen, you need a lot of things in order to have success in e-commerce and specifically in buying through e-commerce solutions. You need easy-to-use tools. You need strategic partners that have websites that have not just the basics, clean data, accurate data, easy-to-find, best-in-class search, along with all of the other bells and whistles that makes adoption and compliance you know, rates go up. But you also have to focus on the other data that enters into the supply chain, which is you know, storeroom data, data that's stored in customers' ERP systems that have order replenishments uh, set to them that enters into the e-procurement channel. When I look at the data challenge today and how it's impacting the efficiencies of e-commerce, to me, that is the number one challenge that exists today. How do, how do buyers and sellers work together to synchronize those systems so that mo- all the channels of where data's or, uh, orders originate from are, are there, they're accurate, and it's, it's, it gets us to the promise of what procure-to-pay was meant to be. 
Mm, interesting. I'd love to get Rob Brooks at IBM to comment on this. Rob? Yeah, so I I agree, uh, Simi. We've got um, those same challenges uh, in trying trying to connect those things. And one of the things that comes to mind, um, I think of e-invoicing right away. Um, yeah. You know, early on, uh, when the client, I started out in accounts receivable uh, for U.S. federal government, and one of the clear things that rung home right away was we got paid when we provided an invoice that matched the order. So this meant in the early days, a lot of people were spending a lot of time creating invoices that would match that order and, and almost mirror them perfectly. And then you, we took that concept to you know the P2P procurement space. And you know concepts like PO flip that was immediately ah aha, okay here it is systematically generated. The problem is when you take that order, how how do you make sure that your your back office systems um, replicate PO line items, which is something that is probably taken for granted today, uh, but it's still a data challenge, especially when you're talking uh, global companies, multiple fulfillment systems, perhaps multiple lines of business, merging in other product lines as you merge and acquire uh, other businesses. How do you tie that together so that the invoice matches the order? Um, that was the place, I think, in the mid and in late 90s, we really started to see that come up. And it was sort of this nice-to-have thing where the advantage was, hey, if you give me an invoice that matches the order, then I will pay you faster. Um, and then, you know, we got government involved in Europe where they started to mandate this kind of thing uh, for tax purposes. And then that started to create and sort of focus um, a, a lot of, effort and resource on, we have to meet this mandate, but it was all about connecting the data dots to meet that mandate. Thank you very much. Austin Whitehead, SAP Ariba. Love to get your thoughts on this, please. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I always thought was really interesting, when people and companies, they implement their uh, P2P solution or, or their e-invoicing solution, and they think it's going to magically uh, make everything better. And one of the things that I always think about is, in a lot of cases, they, these companies are not redefining their business processes. They're not putting governance around it. So they're basically paving cow paths. They're just making the bad stuff go faster. I know that many of those that live on the East Coast, and, and Rob, you live over by Baltimore, you're, you're familiar with the cow paths, with every road being something mill road. And uh, <laughs> it's nothing's a straight line to get anywhere. And it's it causes a lot of problems. And one of the things that I always thought was also really interesting when I think about the use of data in this space is that a lot of the people that are using these systems don't don't think about their product as their output. And by that, I mean, you know, I spent years at Nestle, and we manufacture things. We built things. We People ate things that we, we manufactured. And there was a lot of thought about what was going in, the quality of the ingredients, the source of the ingredients, all that information about every bit of, of ingredients that went into the process of manufacturing the food. And that same paradigm and attitude needs to be taken about the data that you're bringing in. You know, a lot of companies accept the data as they have it, and they're not using any kind of rationalization and making sure that their suppliers, they're working with their suppliers on the front end, to make sure the data quality is good, they just accept the data and run it through the system, and then they're not getting the output they expect. And so I think there's a lot of contributing factors in this whole space um, leading to some of these uh, specific issues. 
But one of the things I think, you know, and Simi kind of pointed this out, that companies aren't getting what they're expecting out of the system, and it's because they're not putting in the right things to get out what they're expecting. This is Bonnie. I want to ask a question to the whole panel. When does the red flag go up? When is the aha moment? When is the eureka moment? When is the moment when somebody looks at the data and says, oh, that's the problem. That's what's causing the issue. That's why we're getting garbage. That's why it isn't working. That's why we lack the efficiency that we were dreaming and hoping and praying and paying for. Let me just go through the panel. Maybe it's a naive question, but I, I would like to know the answer. When does this like go off or Simi, Rob, and Austin, is it people who are listening to this radio show all over the world who are going to have that aha moment? Oh, maybe we better look at the data. Do you think they're already aware? And who is the they? who would have this aha moment. Simi Chigger, let me start with you and just go through the panel. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, for Thank us, you. and I'll just take a quick tour back in history. You know, we started to recognize that there's a challenge of data uh, two, three years ago. And we started to look at some of our key metrics, like, you know, day sales outstanding um, and how much uh, effort, people, resources that we were putting into following up with orders that were coming in that were inaccurate and getting paid for it. You know, like Rob said, the whole e-invoicing concept, if you just get us an invoice that matches our PO, we'll pay it. But we have contracts with our customers, and we would expect that the orders coming in would be accurate to our agreement. So for us, that was the aha moment. And we started to go back into um, our integrations with our customers and started to realize that there's there's different methodologies being employed, but using the same um, funnel, if you will, to send orders electronically. One is the, the orders coming through the website, you know, using the website as a foundation, which is typically accurate information. The others are using more of a direct uh, purchasing technique, which utilizes customers' ERP systems. And what we've learned is that there's a challenge out there in the, I'll call it the manufacturing space or the business space, in having a centralized data governance model and solution that's being managed accurately amongst the, the, the businesses. And some of it is, you know, the way the ERP systems are built. Some of it is not wanting to uh, use your influence over different plants on the same network that they need to buy the same item. So there could be preferences along the way, but yet all the data associated with that item is represented differently across multiple locations. So, I, listen, I could tell you from recent experience and recent discussions um, that we, we, we've had with customers at the SAP Ariba Live conference a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. there is a growing recognition in the industry that it's something that we have to get aligned on and that uh, customers and manufacturers need to get their arms around a centralized data governance model if they're going to get the benefits of what they've signed up for with their e-procurement investments. Thank you. Good, good answer, and I appreciate that very much, Simi. Uh, Rob Brooks, thoughts on what I asked? Do you agree, disagree, or tell me your own thoughts? No, I think, I think the red flag um, for me comes in, in some tactical ways, which then kind of lead to some strategic action. So for, for me, if it's a specific client, um, it, it's the looking for the order wild goose chase. 
um, which which may be less of a problem in in your world, Simi. But you know, sometimes you know we've got many hands that are touching an order or involved in that process from the time you know there's a client signature, uh, which then may generate an order, and the omni-channel can somehow can can also make it more challenging to manage them. But in in the P2P procurement space, when I've got a sales guy that's looking for an order. Um, you know, sales guys are great at selling things. They're not necessarily concerned about how their client is buying. And, and that's sort of the role I think that, that we play uh, in the space is assisting the client in the actual purchase uh, up through payment. And so when we have, we have to look for an order and we can't find it, that usually leads us back to, well, where exactly and how did you send it? Oh, I you know, sent it through my e-procurement system and you know, sent it to IBM. Then we start peeling back, well, okay, which IBM? Oh, well, it's the one here that I use all the time. Okay, well, what's that connected to? And it sort of leads us down this trail uh, where we find out, okay, it's not the one that we were expecting to receive that order on. Um, and you know, IBM is frequently used as a poster child for cleaning up vendor data um, and, and that's that's a huge area where I, I think when, when you have one of those, it's time to go back to the client and discuss, all right, let's talk about vendor master data. Let's talk about cleaning up. How many versions of, of us do you have in your system? Let's shut the old ones off that are, you know, I like to call the zombie records um, uh, that, that sort of create these problems. Um, for me, that's an aha moment that at least that piece is disconnected. Uh, and then we can go back further and further and further into other transactions. You know, start with the vendor master, and then you start talking about orders and catalogs and invoices and, and line those up. But frequently, we trace almost every data problem back to that vendor master um, and then branch out into the other transactions. Thank you, Rob. Very thoughtful answer. Austin Whitehead, SAP Ariba. Please yeah, join so, us. What um, do you think? You know, one of the things that... You, you asked, like, when does it first show up? I think a lot of times it shows up with the actual users that are doing the work. Um, they start realizing that the things that they were promised um, aren't happening, and they're having to make it, uh, exception handling much more often than they thought or anticipated they were going to have to. Um, but, you know, there's that whole mind that, that quote that uh, Rob mentioned about you can't solve current issues with the same mindset you had uh, when you discovered the issues. Um, you know, we have the legacy of the ERP systems where, you know, these folks that have worked in, you know, behind the firewall ERP systems for so long have just always kind of accepted, well, that's just the way it is, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and there's very little they can do about it. It's really not until these, these exceptions escalate to the point that the ROI that was promised or uh, there's additional cost to fix these errors does it really get to the point of the decision makers and taking a look at these things. Um, you know, there's the other issue, too, where I think historically there's, when you look at the business units that are doing e-commerce versus the IT organizations that have the uh, infrastructure as well as a lot of times have been considered the data owners, as there's a disconnect there because, you know, IT doesn't necessarily know that the data is bad. And mm-hmm. the business people know the data is bad, and yet there's kind of this, this wall between the two organizations and, and trying to resolve those things. So one of the things that I think people need to consider when they look at these types of things is changing the mindset. And this is what we talk about an awful lot, is the fact that not just internally within your organization, but also externally in how you deal with your trading partners and how you view them. You know, the sharing of data and this making sure that the data is correct is, is 
important to everyone that is collaborating. And so everybody has a, an obligation to make sure the data is good and accurate and is agreed upon. And that's a totally different mindset. It sounds like uh, accountability is cropping up there and uh, presence of mind and integrity of the person as well as the data. Am I stretching that point, Austin? Or Well, I, I did, like I said, I think it's just a change of, of, change of mindset. It's, it's that mm-hmm. everybody has a responsibility. People can't shrug their shoulders and say, oh, that's that person over there anymore. Yep. I, if I can jump in, Bonnie, Simi, Austin, you made a great point with the uh, the whole the whole mindset and um, you know being accountable. Um, I, I actually think that that's probably the biggest piece of it. And I think you also said something about when when companies invest in these solutions, there's almost an expectation, right, an ROI of what they're going to get from it. And, and I think that's where that's where the rubber meets the road. That when when making the investment in these solutions to dramatically uh, make their procurement processes more efficient, you can't do it without quality data. And the, the, the uh, e-commerce engine that's supporting a percentage of the spend, you know, indirect versus direct spend is like 35, 65. So the, the punch-outs that are going to take advantage of a website, that's only going to be a small percentage of the spend, and there has to be a recognition between both buyers and sellers, that the balance of those, of those orders, if you will, are going to come from another source. And that's the source that we have to get our arms around together to figure out how to synchronize that data and make it accurate if we're going to get, for both sides, the ROI that's expected through this, this type of procurement process. You know, Thank one you, of the Simi. things I always thought was really interesting is when we have these discussions, especially with the, the buy-side customers, pertaining to, you know, punch-out versus a static catalog. And, you know, in some cases, it's fine to use a static catalog. Pricing or availability doesn't change that often. But um, when you have items where the pricing and the availability changes or there's substitutions that have to happen often, um, and then you have these, the buyers that say, well, no, we still want a static catalog, you're, you're making a conscious decision to bring in errors into the order immediately at the very front mm-hmm. end. And then when you ask them, well, why, you know, why don't you just do a punch-out or uh, catalog with your supplier, the answer is, well, we want to maintain control. And this is where that whole relationship thing comes into place. And, and you have to think about, well, how do I want this relationship to be? You know, one of the things that <clears throat> we always talked about is if you're, if you're changing the way in which you're doing business uh, from a process perspective, then, then you probably should reexamine the entire relationship and how you're doing business. We... Uh, we always thought about um, having our suppliers manage the catalog for us and that we would do spot checks quarterly that says, okay, we're just going to make sure the pricing is within certain tolerance. And what we negotiated was that if it's out of tolerance with the spot check, then we do a full audit, audit which the supplier you pay for, and then any kind of, you know, for the results of that, if there's outside of tolerance, then there's a penalty. But that encouraged the supplier to make sure that the data was good, and it allowed both the buyer and the supplier in this scenario to have good data throughout the process and reap the benefits of participating in collaborative e-commerce. 
What a thought. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Austin. And thank you, uh, Simi, for jumping in on that. And Rob, I want to move. Let's see. We have a little bit of time left till we go to our predictions round, about eight minutes. I'm looking ahead at notes from Rob Brooks at IBM. Rob, I don't think we talked about this. Tell me if I'm right. I'd love to expand this. You, you uh, throw out this little headline teaser. You say, want an electronic invoice? Send me an electronic order, please. Oh, and on the same network, please. Talk to me about billing systems, about spitting out invoices, about e-invoice requests. Is this something that most companies can do now? Is this uh, How does this relate to good data, bad data, inaccurate data, GIGO? Well, I, you know, for, for years, I, I think one of the challenges many companies have is uh, this expectation that you, you send an order, we provide a deliver goods or services, and then here's the bill, pay it. And e-procurement has obviously linked those things together um, in, in a new way that should benefit everyone. And getting those, um, uh, the, the, you know, the order is one thing, and, and we appreciate that. We, we like to get those orders uh, also uh, out of a catalog. So, you know, Austin mentions, you know, the, the catalog, just using a catalog. When we catch that first order, um, it's usually non-catalog, and that's usually because it's just it's been enabled uh, quickly. It's trying to get the first orders out the door using the new system, and then over time we like to move uh, move into expanding into catalogs, which ultimately should help us get an order that makes sense that we can automatically process. Um, because you know IBM server five thousand um, dollars doesn't automate very well, or see attached quote from John Smith, which may or may not be attached, you know, things like that really, you know, gum up the works. Uh, but on the invoice side, you know, for there's, there's so much extra data that I think um, can come along with these invoices that may not be relevant to the purchase order uh, at all. And in the same time, we've got uh, customers that want us to provide or essentially do their accounting for them on their invoices. So some of the things we like to say, if you want it on the invoice, you need to send it on the order um, and not necessarily expect us to manage some of these processes or data retention all the way through because data elements that are important to you may not be important to me or may not carry through once I spit out the invoice. Um, you know, getting the PO line item uh, correct and accurate is a fair and reasonable expectation. And so we make investments in our systems to be able to uh, accommodate that and com- combine and comply with all of the tax uh, and local regulations. Um, but at the same time, we also see clients that want to split up the channel. So I'm going to send you orders one way, and I want invoices over here. And that just creates a, sort of a, a point-to-point multi-connection uh, scenario that's difficult for us to uh, to, for any supplier, not, you know, not just uh, not just a tech supplier, to maintain and, and support. Uh, so what we try to do is you know, let's do let's pick a procurement provider and let's do everything on one network. We can dream, can't we? Austin, thoughts on that? Well, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about while we were, you were talking about movie quotes, and I, I remembered a movie that I saw many years ago called Sneakers, and. Hmm. Uh, it's about uh, computer systems it's in the 80s. And I remember Ben Kingsley character was on top of the, at the time, countrywide um, mortgage uh, data center in Simi Valley, California. And he's screaming, it's all about the data to re- the River Phoenix character <laughs> uh, because they had stolen the data. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
when I look at, think about data, data is, you know, the Ferris Bueller car, the data is the fuel that's going in that car to drive and how that car performs. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where I think it has to flow through the system and the company that's going to be successful is one that's going to be able to understand how data impacts their entire business process and supply chain and being able to understand how to interpret that information and data. You know, the, the speed of business is picking up. The amount of data that's available that, and data that people are creating themselves is increasing. And the companies that can understand what that data means and predict it are the ones that are going to perform better. And what you're, you know, I think one of the things that companies are starting to learn through this whole e-procurement and e-business process is the fact that these decisions that they're making are really dependent upon the data. And they're struggling on how to change that corporate environment of this is my business, this is my firewall, to something that's a little bit more open and collaborative. You know, when you see what's happening out there with business networks and the collaboration, it's those companies that have open systems like Apple that allow you to bring in uh, and create apps for those things. They, Apple didn't create all the apps for their, their, mm-hmm. uh, their products. They're, they're encouraging other companies to do it. Same with, with uh, Android, with, with Google. It's those that are allowing those collaborations to happen that I think are probably going to succeed in the future. Thank you, Austin. You know, we're almost ready for our predictions round, but two comments. Uh, number one, I looked up, of course I did, Sneakers. It's a 1992 action thriller, thriller action movie, and it starred Robert Redford as a computer hacker named Martin who headed a group of specialists testing the security of some San Francisco companies and two supposedly NSA, that's National Security Agency officers, approach him and ask him to steal a newly invented decoder. Turns out they were rogue and blah, blah, blah. You get it on YouTube for two ninety nine, iTunes for two ninety nine, and Amazon Video. I guess the going rate. The cast was Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier, River Phoenix, Ben Kingsley, Dan Aykroyd. I have to go look that one up. Thanks for the reference, Austin. But Austin, I have one more thing I want you to quickly address, please. You mentioned in your notes research from Aberdeen. Hackett Group and other analyst firms have shown that this is important. On average, 15% of POs have errors and 3.5% of invoices have errors, and they all take time and effort, and it all comes back to bad data, product numbers, pricing, ship to or build to locations. Any quick comments on that, Austin, before I circle back to Simi and ask him to give us his prediction? Austin? Well, the thing is, these these benchmarks are quoted all over the place. You know, these are third-party research organizations that do these things. And these are the things, and these are the errors and the exceptions that when companies implement e-commerce are looking to reduce. Uh, in the U.S. and, and in, in Europe, it ta- costs about $276 per error to fix. And when you mm. think about a 15% error on some of these items, like especially with that MSC um, um, pass, where there, there's a lot of transactions and a lot of orders that go through it, especially at the line item level, this is a lot of errors, and it's a lot of cost to, to fix. And, you know, as you had mentioned before, when, did, when do uh, this whole data thing become a, a red flag? It's when these numbers, these percent of errors, do not mm-hmm. go down or go down less than expected that the red flags go off. 
Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, appreciated. And we are now officially in our at our crystal ball predictions round. Simi Chigger, I'm going to ask you quickly. I'll give you oh, one whole minute. We're we're uh, in a surplus of time today, Simi. Look ahead to the future. I still like the year 2020. It just sounds so baba wawa. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But how far in the future would you like to predict what would change about this topic? We're talking about e-procurement. We're talking about e-commerce. We're talking mainly about damaged by damaged data. I think that was a good one. So, Simi, predictions, how far in the future? One minute, go. Yeah, I, I think, listen, over the next three to five years, and I think it's hard to predict past that. Um, companies that struggle with data, uh, just will be, they're going to go out of business. They're going to go out of business from an e-commerce perspective. So new entrants, they're going to figure it out. Um, they're going to figure it out quicker. And I think that when you start talking about how two companies are going to do business together, um, the gap that exists today is going to get closed and, and narrow uh, much, much faster. And it's going to really help um, companies reduce those error rates that Austin uh, referenced, which, by the way, I think are higher than the uh, Aberdeen Group reports. But I think that the only way these things uh, stay around is that we, we work closer together, buyers and sellers, to figure out a way to automatically synchronize data. It has to happen in order to achieve the promise of uh, procure to pay. Thank you, Simi. Great insights. And let's go to Rob Brooks at IBM. Rob, I can give you also one full minute. Go ahead. Predict, please. Fantastic. You know, I, I think in the next three to five years, we're going to see, um, you know, as everything is moving to cloud, it's, the cloud is going to have to fulfill on the promise. So really look to the cloud to unlock the data that we have locked within these systems of record that need to link the systems of engagement. Um, you know, there's a great Forrester research report out there uh, that discusses, you know, the need to link those. That was three years ago. Great idea. I think those of us in, in this space have seen it for probably the last 10, but still, you know, here we are still discussing some of these problems. I think some of the problems will go away. Uh, some of those will be uh, supported and removed by moving to the cloud and then applying analytics to those um, so that we've got uh, a combination of of a link to the data, a flexible place to put it. I think uh, trading partner enablement um, both ways will become more cognitive, more automated. So uh, Simi and I spend a lot of time working with clients on their enablement. Now we've got it, we can get it down to a matter of days or weeks, but as things become more complex, uh, I think those cycle times get down to almost a self-serve model um, and unlocking data in what was previously viewed as completely offline contracts or, um, you know, categories of spend that were never going to go through e-procurement. They were always going to be online or offline transactions that were um, tied up in other processes and email back and forth uh, and lengthy contracts. As IT and complexity is commoditized, I think procurement and catalog order invoice and that ease of use um, you know, becomes the fingertips across all categories of procurement. Thank you very much, Rob. And I have exactly one minute left for Mr. Austin Whitehead at SAP Ariba. Go ahead, Austin. 
Great. Well, I, you know, we will be having the same discussion in three to five years, by the way. The more things change, the more they say the same, mm-hmm. especially around this data topic. But what I think is going to change is kind of the infrastructure and, and the paradigm around how the collaborations are going to happen. So, for example, there is really no one-size-fits-all in terms of business network and collaboration across all industries, geographies. But I think what we're going to start to see is a little bit more interoperability between the networks. Uh, and, you know, there's industry-specific ones. There's, there's, like, there's the you know, SAP uh, business networks. I think there's going to be a lot more interoperability between them, which I think was going to drive this whole collaborative e-commerce a lot more in terms of volume of transactions and collaborations. And I think you're going to see a little bit more, I think, democracy happen within these these networks where a lot of smaller suppliers who understand the value of data and can grasp it quickly and turn things over quickly as opposed to having to drag around their legacy systems will will grow rapidly during this during this time period. Thank you very much. And by the way, you just cited my favorite quote in the whole world for all time. And you said it in English, the quote in French, my friend, Mr. Whitehead, is plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So thank you for that. And I just tweeted it with your name on uh, in French. So forgive me for that. Simi Chigger, thank you so much. Rob Brooks at IBM. Uh, Simi is, comes to us from MSC Industrial Supply. Rob Brooks at IBM, Client Success, and Austin Whitehead at SAP Ariba. Shout out to Gail and Jeannie who are tweeting, and, and Simi's been tweeting as well. I appreciate that a lot. And uh, Karen Geraldo with Deloitte at in Canada has been tweeting as well. Nice to see you as well, Geraldo 24 on Twitter. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're just about out of time. So I'm going to say I'll see you tomorrow right here on the Business Channel, 10 a.m. Eastern, with our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, another exciting topic. And here is my call to action for all of you, and thank you to Michael and the Business Channel team. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. You want an e-invoice for that? Give me a break. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Remember, garbage in, garbage out. We only talk about good stuff here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.